The scripture reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. What a privilege to be with you all here today. My wife and I recently watched Inventing Anna on Netflix. Have you seen it? It's the story of Anna Sororkin, also known as Anna Delvey. And for those of you who don't know the story, she came to New York City pretending to be a German heiress. So she wore the most expensive clothes, she stayed in the most luxurious hotels, and she went to the most exclusive clubs and parties. And for years, she was able to fool many of New York City's elite. But in 2018, it finally caught up to her. After defrauding friends, banks and hotels, out of hundreds of thousands of dollars, she was arrested and convicted of her crimes. Anna's desire to project this persona, this power and elitism, it ruins her life. She became so enslaved to this desire that she was willing to defraud even those closest to her. She thought it would bring her happiness, but in the end, it led only to ruin. When Anna's in court and her attorney gives his closing argument, he says, there's a little bit of Anna in all of us. I think that's true. We too can become consumed and enslaved by our own desires. We want to be validated and accepted, and so we try to project a certain brand to the world, a certain image to the world. But just like it led to Anna's downfall, this desire to be accepted, left unchecked, doesn't bring happiness. It just breeds anxiety 
and loneliness. Our post never gets enough likes. There's always someone who doesn't like us. And a negative comment can always cut straight through our happiness. This desire to be accepted can rule over us. And instead of bettering our life, it devours us. Here's the thing. When we choose to seek acceptance or prosperity outside of God, it always leads to disappointment. We think it'll bring us happiness, but instead we become slaves to our own desires. The same thing was happening to Israel in our passage for today. And in this story, God shows us the way to our deliverance. Here's what we're going to see. Here's the main point of this story and the main point of what I have to say today. We need the Lord's choice for king. And here's why. Let me show you. Let's start with what was happening in Israel. So Israel had rejected the Lord as their king. This is happening earlier, going back to chapter 8. They desired protection from their enemies and guidance for how to live. But instead of seeking these things from the Lord, they demanded an earthly king. And Samuel, their leader at the time, warned them. He told them that they were rejecting the Lord and that they would regret having an earthly king. An earthly king would take advantage of them. He would take the best of their crops and the best of their fields, and they would become his slaves. But the people insisted. And so the Lord gave them Saul, this king whom they had chosen. But Saul had twice disobeyed the word of the Lord. In chapter 15, right before what we just read, that ends with Samuel telling Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king. And so now in chapter 16, with no one to lead them, Israel is on the verge of chaos. Here's what they needed. They needed the Lord's choice for king. They had rejected the Lord and chosen their own king. They had hoped that he would bring them security and prosperity, but in the end, he brought only slavery, chaos, and death. What they needed was not their choice, but the Lord's choice for king. And we're no different than Israel. We put ourselves in these same situations. Think about this. Israel demanded a king, quote, that we may also be like all the other nations. How often do we, too, just want to be like all the other nations? We don't want to be that weird Christian, and so we compromise our faith just a little to try to fit in. Israel demanded a king, quote, that our king may judge us. How often do we, too, look outside of God for wisdom and morality? How do you define your best life? How do you spend your money? What do you do for entertainment? Do you look to God for wisdom in these things? Or does your lifestyle look more like your non-Christian neighbor? Israel demanded a king, quote, to go out before us and to fight our battles. How often do we, too, look outside of God for security, for protection? 
We look instead to our career or, or to our bank account. And here's the thing, and this is important. These things that we turn to become like little kings, people or things that we look to instead of looking to God. For Israel, it was Saul. For Anna Delvey, it was power and prestige. What is it for you? What are you tempted to look to instead of looking to God? And here's the problem. Just like Samuel warned the Israelites, these little kings that we look to don't make good rulers. Think about what happens when we look to our bank account or a career for security. When our account is low, we feel anxious or depressed. And when our account is high, we still feel anxious. Why? Because it's never enough. We become consumed by an insatiable desire for more. These little kings, we think they will bring us life, but they only end in slavery, chaos, and death. What we need is the Lord's choice for king to rule over us and to bring us life. 1 Samuel 16 starts with Israel on the verge of chaos. Saul, this king whom the people had chosen, had rejected the word of the Lord, and so the Lord had rejected him as king. And think about the chaos even today that comes when a nation's leader is killed or overthrown. This was Israel's first shot at king, and it failed. What was going to happen next? Who would lead the people? Would the nation again be conquered and oppressed by their enemies? Would they descend into civil war? Things aren't looking good for Israel. But in the very first verse, we see God's mercy. Take a look. Verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him as being king? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Look at how gracious our God is here. Samuel is grieved by the state of God's people, and the Lord provides a solution. He didn't have to. He could have left Israel to their own devices. They had rejected him as king. He would have been entirely justified in letting them be conquered and oppressed by their enemies and being consumed by civil war. This could have been the end of Israel. This could have been Israel's first and last king. But our God is the God of new beginnings. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He provides for us, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we outright reject him. He didn't leave Israel with the king they chose. He tells Samuel, 
Do not grieve over Saul, for I have chosen for myself a new and better king. And he tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint this new king. And this is, of course, very good news, but it's also a dangerous task. Look at verse 2. It says, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Imagine being in Samuel's situation. Imagine there's this autocratic ruler who has proven himself time and time again to be insecure and erratic. Earlier in this book, he almost had his own son killed after a rash vow he made in the heat of battle. This king has all the power to end your life, and God tells you to go and anoint a new king in his place. You'd be right to fear for your life. Notice how Samuel responds. Look at the first thing he does. He cries out to God. He's in distress, and he doesn't let those feelings control him, but he doesn't ignore them either. He brings them to God. That's instructive for us. Obeying God might not put your life at risk this week like it did for Samuel, but when you follow God's choice for king, there will be a cost. Maybe being faithful to him puts your popularity at risk. Maybe it costs you something at work. When you feel anxious about these things, let the first thing you do be to cry out to God, like Samuel did here. And look what happens next. God tells Samuel to take a sacrifice with him so as to not raise suspicion. Again, God provides a solution. When Samuel is grieved over Saul being rejected as king, the Lord answers by telling him that he has chosen a new and better king. And when Samuel fears for his life, the Lord provides a way to travel safely. Now, God might not always provide the solution you want. Think about Samuel. I'm sure he would have preferred God say, yeah, you know, you're right. Having you travel to go anoint this new king that's kind of a bit dangerous. Why don't I have him come to you instead? Still required a lot of faith for Samuel to obey here. But God provided a way. There's another part of this task that required faith too. Take a look at verse 3. God says to Samuel, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. He doesn't tell Samuel whom this next king will be. He just says, I will show you what you shall do. Sometimes being faithful to God means being obedient and trusting him, even when we don't know what's next. It's not easy to do. Samuel had to trust God for protection from Saul, and he had to trust God to reveal whom it was he had chosen to be king in his place. But look at how Samuel responds in verse 4. It says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. In the midst of danger and uncertainty, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. There's a strong contrast here between Samuel and Saul's behavior. When the Lord spoke to Saul, Saul didn't do what the Lord commanded. 
When the Lord spoke to Samuel, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. When Saul thought obeying God put his life at risk, earlier in chapter 13, Saul disobeyed the word of the Lord. When Samuel thought putting, obeying God put his life at risk, he faithfully obeyed. When Saul, earlier in chapter 13, had to wait in uncertainty for the Lord to fulfill his word, he acted on his own accord. When Samuel here has to wait in uncertainty for the Lord to show him whom to anoint, he faithfully waited. That's the kind of leader that we need. And that's the kind of men and women that our city and our world needs. We need men and women who are faithful to God no matter the cost. We need men and women who are faithful to God even when that means you're looked down on or labeled backwards. We need men and women who are faithful to God even when there's a financial cost. When we refuse to bond with our coworkers over binge drinking or over gossip, or when we obey God's commands to make his command to make Sundays a day of rest and worship, those things could cost us. And like Samuel obeyed God, even though all God said was, I will show you what you shall do, we need men and women who obey God even in the midst of uncertainty even when they don't understand. And the world needs men and women who, like Samuel, grieve over the state of God's people when God's people are unfaithful. Men and women who wake up early in the morning and spend earnest time praying that God might give us the leaders, not that we deserve, but that we need. The question that drives this story is who is that leader? Because it certainly isn't Saul, this king whom the people had chosen. And it can't be Samuel anymore either. At this point, he's an old man at the end of his life. So who is this king? Who is the one whom the Lord has chosen? The tension deepens when Samuel meets Jesse's sons. Take a look at verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And this is tied to the first verse, the beginning of the story. You can't tell in the English, but in the Hebrew, the Lord says to Samuel, I have seen for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And here Samuel sees Eliab. Same verb in, in the Hebrew. And when Samuel sees Eliab, he seems like a natural choice for king. He's Jesse's firstborn son. He's tall and apparently either good-looking or a strong-looking guy. And so when Samuel sees him, he says, Oh, well, surely this must be the one. Surely this is the one whom the Lord has seen. But verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance around the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
it's significant that Eliab's height is mentioned. Uh, Saul, Saul is twice described as taller than any of the other people. It was a way to describe him as the natural choice for king. It's actually not that different today. Did you know only 14.5% of men in the U.S. are six feet or taller? And yet the majority of Fortune 500 CEOs are over six feet tall. 3,000 years later, and we still tend to value height in a leader. And it's not that being tall is bad. Good leaders can be tall, of course. But the thing is that there's also plenty of bad tall leaders, like Saul. The issue is, do we look more to these natural markers or more to the content of their heart? And that's part of what's behind this famous phrase. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In the Hebrew, it's more literally, man looks by the eyes, but the Lord looks to the heart. This means at least two things. First, it means that only God has the ability to see the heart. This is a theme throughout Scripture. We never really know what's truly on someone's heart. Only the Lord knows the heart of man. And second, this phrase means that only God considers the right things. Man's wisdom is not always God's wisdom. We look for someone who is tall and good-looking to lead us. Anna Delvey was able to fool people because we are so easily distracted by expensive clothes and confidence. We look to the eyes or by the eyes, but the Lord looks to the heart. Even Samuel, this holy man of God who faithfully obeys all that the Lord tells him to do, even Samuel doesn't know whom the Lord has chosen. We need the Lord's choice, choice for king, because only the Lord looks to the heart. We choose the wrong kings. Left her own devices, we choose popularity, a bigger bank account, the wisdom of our culture. But these things never bring us lasting happiness. In the end, just like for Anna, just like for Israel, these things lead only to slavery, chaos, and death. We need the Lord's choice for king. Samuel sees Eliab, this tall, good-looking, firstborn son of Jesse, and he says, surely this is he. But the Lord says, I have rejected him. And so Jesse calls his next son, Abinadab, but the Lord hadn't chosen him. And so Jesse makes his next son, Shammah, pass before Samuel, but the Lord hadn't chosen him. And Jesse makes seven of his sons, one by one, pass before Samuel. And Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen these. And that's it. That's all of them. Imagine being Samuel again. 
Imagine God says to you this afternoon, go to Bethlehem, for I have seen for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And so you go, even though you know Saul might kill you for it. And God tells you to invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and when you get there, he'll show you what you should do. And so you manage to find Jesse. You see seven of his sons, but none of these are the one whom the Lord has seen. What would you do next? Look at what Samuel does. Where are we at? Verse 11. Look at that. Verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. See, Jesse too doesn't know whom the Lord has chosen. He thought that it was so unlikely that it was this youngest son that he doesn't even have him come to the sacrifice. He's left out of it entirely, left to go care for the sheep while his seven older brothers join their father in distinguished guest. The word youngest is significant here. In Hebrew, the word for youngest is the same as the word for smallest. So in contrast to Saul and Eliab, this boy is the smallest or the youngest of Jesse's sons. Jesse never even considered that this youngest son was the one whom the Lord had chosen. But the Lord sees not as man sees. And so Samuel tells Jesse, look again at verse 11, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Finally, this is the one whom the Lord had chosen. This is why the Lord sent Samuel to Bethlehem, to anoint this king. And notice how the boy is described. He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So it's not that good looks are bad. It's not that God never chooses handsome people. It's that looks aren't everything. Our perception isn't everything. We can only look by our eyes, but the Lord can look to the heart. The resolution to this story is in verse 13. Take a look. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Did you notice something in this verse? Up until this point, we don't even know the name of this chosen king. Even when Jesse mentions him, he's just called the youngest. We're kept in suspense until this climactic moment when it's revealed that this chosen king is none other than King David, a man after God's own heart. Here was a man who would not reject the word of the Lord like Saul had, like Israel had. Here was a man who would not lead the people into sin like Saul had. Here was a man who would lead the people in God's ways and deliver them from their enemies. 
And so here's the good news of this story. God didn't leave his people with the king they deserved. He gave them the king they didn't deserve. God didn't leave them with the king they wanted. He gave them the king they needed. God didn't leave them with the king they expected. He gave them the king he had chosen. And this king was only a shadow of the king who was to come. The people had rejected the word of the Lord, or had rejected the Lord as their king, but one day God himself would be born of the line of this king David. One thousand years after Samuel anointed David in Bethlehem, this king was born in that same city. And unlike Saul, and unlike the Israelites, this king did not reject the word of the Lord. This king was the word of the Lord incarnate. Unlike Saul, this king did not disobey when his life was in danger. When the Lord sent Samuel to Bethlehem, he told him to take a sacrifice to protect himself from Saul. When the father sent the son to Bethlehem, he was that sacrifice. He was that sacrifice who did die a shameful public death. Like the Israelites rejected the Lord as their king, so Isaiah prophesied that this king would be despised and rejected by men. And like no one expected the Lord to choose David, so Isaiah prophesied that this king would not be desired or esteemed, but would be as one from whom men hide their faces. But this king is the one whom the Lord has chosen. There's a little bit of Anna in all of us. Left her own devices, our choices lead to ruin. When we reject the Lord as our king and follow after little kings, we become slaves to our sin and deserving of death. But Jesus is the king who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is the one who delivers us from our slavery to sin and brings us fullness of life. This is the king we don't deserve. This is the king we didn't expect. This is the king God has chosen. This is the king we need. Let us serve him with all our heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son, our king, Jesus Christ. We confess that on our own, we choose the way of death. We, we reject him and go our own way. Thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, but have shown us mercy. Thank you for sending your son to die that he might bring us fullness of life. By your Holy Spirit, we ask that you empower us now to serve him with all our heart. Do this for his sake, we ask.
Amen.